When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looking for something to do after Halloween is over? Are you into the strange, bizarre, and unusual? On November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, the Strange Realities Conference is coming back to Nashville, Tennessee and streaming online. Come join us for three days exploring mysteries, supernatural, the occult, weird history, and more. Featuring lectures, presentations, and workshops by Tim Banal, Zach Hunt, Leslin Vance, Bryn Collier, Tobias Whalen, Brent Rains, Joshua Cutchen, Kiki Dombrowski, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Christopher Ernst, Aaron Gullius, David Metcalf, Timothy Renner, Mallory Samwitzki, Soraya Azkath, and special guest Steve Berg as your Master of Ceremonies. Make sure to join us for the fun and informative weekend online and at SIR Nashville November 3rd and 4th and online only November 5th. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Okay, everybody. Welcome to Conspiranormal. Yes, and we are connecting from across the world to our guest tonight. Yes, yes. Uh, it is very early, or it's very late where he is at the moment, but uh, we're very happy to have this guest on, um, Mr. Fred Anderson, all the way from Sweden. <laughs> and, and Fred, you're actually the second guest we had on from Sweden, right? Yeah. Fairfield? Carl Abrams, Abrahamson was on, I believe, a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh. yeah, we're, uh, we're going we're going back to Sweden on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, Carl is so nice. Uh, I, I had the honor to have uh, one of my texts in uh I think issue number ten of the Fenris Wolf. Yeah, oh, nice. yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's. Uh, uh, I haven't met him for a while now, but a, a, a really nice guy uh, uh, with so much knowledge uh, uh, about the uh, occult and esoteric and and everything like that. I I love Carl. Sure. sure. What was that uh, that work that that you wrote for Fenris Wolf ten? Oh yeah, that, that that's a strange text I wrote. It's um, uh, are, are are you familiar with the documentary Bloodline that came? I, I don't know, maybe ten years ago. It's it's about, of course, the the the, the hunt for for Jesus' grave at uh, Rennes Le Chateau yes. in, in France. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And and I, I got so fascinated by that that documentary because it's a one of the the participants in it is Ben Hammett. I think his real name is Ben Wilkinson. He's a known hoaxer. No one no one no knew this when they filmed the documentary. But he 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 built his own you know chamber grave chamber and he you know he pretended it it was located out in the woods there in, on the French countryside and the, everyone believed him and they kind of built this whole documentary around him. Uh, so, I, so I wrote the text about him and how he 
basically created his own reality by building this myth about uh, the the grave he found. I mean, he wrote a book. I think it's like six hundred page long book about wow. his his hunt for this grave. Also, and he's a Oh, he's such a good writer, and I love the book, even if it's made up. And I love uh, how they use him in this documentary. And it's so it's so bizarre seeing a documentary where where I mean, it's, it is a good documentary, uh, but when you're aware that this guy comes in and everything he does in it is it's it's fake. And they don't know it, but they think it's real. Yeah, that, that's right. a kind of a mind fuck, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the whole Ren La Chateau thing—we could do like an entire episode on that. Like that's. Oh yeah, that's yeah. A yeah I mean, big subject. It is. It is, and I—I I feel. I mean, I. I, I have a ton of books about it, and I, I, I've seen a lot of stuff, but I feel it's so, it's, it's, it's quite complex, big story around it. And it's so many, so many rabbit holes to go into, uh, uh, but it's, it's fascinating. But I mean, Bloodline is without a doubt my favorite documentary on the subject. I haven't seen that, Adam. Have you seen that? No, I've never seen that one. I'm not. I'm, not I'm looking at the IMDb. I see uh, Tracy Twyman was involved. Of course, she was really into that stuff for a while. With yeah, she was in the Merovingian stuff. Yeah, yeah. You, you should you should look at uh, you know you should check it out because it's a uh, it's a uh, you know it's one of those it's it's cozy. It feels very you know like a, like a in, investigative documentary. They following leads. Uh, you know it it. it Kind of feels like the Da Vinci Code, but but real and real without uh, with quotation marks here, uh, not quotation marks. Sorry, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, um, but it's quite difficult, I think, to to find the DVD nowadays. I'm I'm not sure, but I, I recommend it. You know, it's 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 a it's a it's a great one. Read this book also. It's like a, it's a page turner. It's 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 great. <laughs> Fred, you have a book out uh, called yeah. Northern Lights, and it is all about not just UFOs, but high strangeness in Sweden, where you where you live. Yeah. What I ask everybody, if they haven't been on the show before, how you kind of became interested in these topics. I understand that that you have a background in television production as well. So. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, do do you want me to go all the way back or just uh, the? Let's go uh, all the way back. All the way. Yeah. Back. yeah. <laughs> I I I mean, I often say that my mom my mom gave me a book called uh, the the Amazing Saucers, uh, a Swedish book, uh, published in the seventies, and I fell so much in love with it. It's a quite skeptical book. Uh, because it was written by a, a Russian-Swedish journalist called uh, Eugen Semichov. And this book was so packed with interesting cases, you know, for, for a little Swedish boy reading about, you know, the, the Lonnie Samora in, in Socorro and, and uh, Betty and Barney Hill and stuff like that kind of changed my, my, my world. And I... At the same time I was reading this, uh, me and my mom were living in quite a conservative religious community, you know, very, 
very uh, yeah conservative you, you you weren't really allowed to look or, or think about stuff that was outside the, the 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 religious part of it but you know i couldn't stay away from it because i i mean living in in such a community which by itself was pretty strange you know with speaking in tongues and miracles and and uh, lots of quite strange characters around you kind of just made me more interested in 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 the weird around and and symbolism i mean if you ever entered a, a church or a, this is was more a evangelistic community, they, they had these weird paintings uh, showing the rapture and that kind of is right. just, yeah, it's triggered. I, I wasn't scared, but it, it triggered my interest in, in the weird. So this, this UFO book and being, you know, uh, raised in a religious community kind of, kind of, set it all off you know uh I've, i i it made me so curious and i remember my 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 dad's partner that my my parents are divorced since many years back uh she told me i remember over the kitchen table one morning uh that she had seen a, a silver sphere hovering above the parking lot uh, where she lived as a child uh, and then she then she died so I, I never had the chance to talk with her more about it. Uh, but I think th th these are, you know, three things, the religious community, the UFO book, and my, my uh, father's uh, partner, her story, uh, kind of made me wh who I am today, basically. Uh, I, I, I'd say, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's so much f fun to dig and stuff like this, and especially when it's local. Um, so a couple of years ago, I, I started, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm getting older and I feel that, okay, I, I need to start focusing on stuff that I really love to do. And I've been working in television for like, like 20 years now. And, uh, and, uh, I, I got a job doing a paranormal show, maybe in, 2015 14 somewhere there uh, and I did 50 episodes for them and we we visited like I mean the whole series is 350 episodes and I did 50 wow. yeah so you 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 visited haunted homes in Sweden together with a psychic medium so that was my 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 normal day-to-day -day life for a couple of years and I had the chance there to sit down and talk with so much people because I was doing the interviews. And of course, they told me about, you know, what's happening in their homes and, and you know, their ideas and theories about that. Uh, and But we often started to talk about other things they experienced, stuff that often got cut out from the, the, the show itself. It could be that they had seen strange lights in the forest or in the sky above their house. Or uh, I remember one woman who basically got attacked, she claimed, by a giant troll uh, in her house, a big, hairy troll. And nice. those, yeah, <laughs> those stories, like, kind of, you know, I, I must admit, when I started doing that show, I was very, very, very skeptical. To, to everything. I mean, I was basically uh, 
an atheist when they, when it came to all things uh hmm. not just relig uh, religion but you know the paranormal but after doing that for a couple of years i was like hmm, there, there is some there is something in this you know i hmm. mean yeah because when you talk to people so close and for a couple of hours each time and you start to you get pretty good at reading people. You can see when they're bullshitting or not, because there was always bullshitters out there, uh, and that kind of made me even more interested. And and uh, in 2019, I, I had a chance to be the main researcher and story producer for Spökjakt, which is a huge, huge paranormal show here in Scandinavia, one of the biggest uh, successes ever, actually. Uh, and we, we recently shot uh, season five and six, who won a lot of prizes, uh, awards. Um, and and after, after doing that, with just, just a lot of ghosts, I decided, okay, I need to focus on what I'm really, really interested in. And that's the weirder stuff, UFOs, uh, monsters, creatures. Uh, and yeah, at the moment, I'm working on a UFO show, a four-part uh, series that will be aired next year on one of the big tv channels and it's it's so much fun i mean it's like it's it's my dream come true to, to be honest that's to so do that cool. yeah that's awesome yeah that's, it's, it's that's great yeah and it's like this show it's the first of its kind in sweden so we have we can we can do so much i mean it's unknown territory for mm -hmm. for most people we can we can go and look at those cases that just been mentioned in books earlier so not even that and and in i mean we just started so i'm i <laughs> yeah who knows where it might might lead but uh, we, we've been shooting six days so far and i'm i'm so happy with the with the footage and the people we met Sounds like you might have a little bit more um, freedom in format than maybe a lot of markets with so much pre-existing stuff like in the States for paranormal television. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Spökjakt, this, this other paranormal show, is kind of feels, you know, like, like you know, the traditional American or British setup. You know, there's a team and they go to a haunted place and they stay there overnight. But we also focus on, on making it so cinematic as possible. Uh, it's it's very very far visually in a, in a good way from you know the uh, yeah all the shows in the, in the United yeah, States. Yeah, no, totally get it. <laughs> so many of them. Um, uh, so I'm 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 super happy to be able to be there early and you know uh, affect the outcome of of that show and with the ufo show we're we're doing it very uh how to describe it um quite quite intimate quite uh, uh it, it might sound amateurish to say that we improvise a lot because we don't but it we focus on having that feeling that when we go to a small town, uh, we, we, of course, we have some f fixed things we need to do. We need to meet some witnesses. We do need to do some reenactment. But then whatever happens, happens. And there's always stories uh, to be told when you go out uh, in these places. You know, when, as soon as you start talking with people, they have always something to tell. And that's, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, it sounds like these shows have kind of gave you this uh, ability to conduct like a big survey or, or study. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's d- doing doing uh, what they've done with the par- paranormal show and the UFO show now. Uh, kind of, it 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 feels like uh, you know, comparing to my own book that I I'm uh, I, I've been correct in my assessments uh, in 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 the book. You know, where and how and uh, these things happen, and I'm. You know, it's so cool to actually go out, go out to these places and experience the places themselves, and and meet the people. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for for having the 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 job I I have at the moment because it's a it's a blast. It's a blast. Is Sweden uh, is it a big UFO hotspot? The thing I think about with Sweden is the ghost rockets from the late 1940s. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the ghost rockets. It's I, I often say with the ghost rockets that when I when I first heard about them, I felt okay. It's like some rockets or missiles, or you know, it's it, it didn't seem so weird to me. But after looking into it and reading and hearing Klaus Swan, who's kind of the main UFO guy here in Sweden, his, his speciality is the ghost rockets. When when he starts to talk about these cases everything turns so weird because it's so much weirder than than you can imagine when you go into the subject of the ghost rockets uh and it's i mean we had in in 46 we had like at least thousand uh, observation of these things and in hundreds of those cases they crashed into lakes as you you're aware of and this oh. yeah and this Lake crashes are so common in Sweden. I mean, we we have lake uh, crashes in lake in in modern times. Uh, very very similar things to the the stuff that happened in forty six, <clears throat> and it kind of it's it's uh, I'm <clears throat> I, I'm no expert on that case, but on those cases, but it it kind of it makes me uh, I'm in awe of the of the mm-hmm of these observations because they're truly unexplained. I mean, they're a true mystery in, in every way possible. Uh, I mean, and, and before uh, the ghost rockets, we have the ghost airplanes that were seen all over Sweden and Norway. Uh, and we had a couple of really interesting things happening in the 40s also before Roswell and, and Kenneth Arnold. Um, so it's, it's, there, there is a lot to, to, to dig into. Uh, nowadays, though, I, I'd say that the interest for UFOs are are big in Sweden. I mean, even the newspaper starts to write about it, and we have these productions, and we have some podcasts. Uh, but modern sightings in Sweden, I, I'd say that ninety nine percent of them are quite boring. It's basically as someone who sees a bright dot in the sky. Uh, Yeah, and that's maybe that's all over the world like that. But if you go back to the 60s or 70s or even 80s, it's I mean, it's wild. Uh, And I'm (laughs) that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because I wanted to share these cases with with an international crowd. Uh, I want to let people know how much weirdness we have. And you had mentioned too, uh, when we were talking before we started, that there was a major flap in 1973, which that was a huge year 
yeah. around the world for UFOs. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, it was in seventy four, but in seventy three there okay. the, there was another uh, flap, actually a big one. Um, um, yeah, it's it seemed even in Sweden that the early seventies were kind of the, the 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 main period for this this really interesting uh, observations and encounters uh, both with with uh, humanoids and and flying saucers as I, I love to call them flying saucers um, so it's 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 it was a different time and it, in in many ways it was a, a more fun time some more weird time in sweden i'm born in 77 so of course i didn't experience these things myself or, or read about them then. but just just looking at thing looking at it going into archives and and reading old books and magazine you'll you'll find a lot of fantastic things happening um i mean the I, I, regarding this UFO flap, I've written about both the UFO flaps, the 73 and the 74, in the book, which had, you know, tons of witnesses and are truly mysteries to this day. Uh, and they also also set in the Swedish countryside, which I feel is the, is the place to go if you're going to experience something like that here in Sweden. So as I was reading your book, I was curious about if there's any researchers that we would not know in the United States, researcher personalities from Sweden that like inspired you or that you have a particular interest in, or that did some really good work on these subjects. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, two I mentioned quite often in the book is Håkan Blomqvist and Klaus Svahn. Håkan is a, um, uh, is always i mean he has a past in ufo cults as a as a member you know as a teenager he became uh, involved in these contactee groups in in sweden it, this was at the beginning of the 70s but he he he, he left those groups uh, years after and became for a while quite a skeptic and uh, you know very anti these kind of more esoteric things but he he in the in the 80s he started to you know be in peace with his past and he's written a lot of great stuff when it comes to uh, especially contactees and you know channeling stuff uh, uh, when it comes to, to contact with alleged alien entities. And he's done great, great work. He's written a lot uh, in Swedish, uh, a couple of books on the subject. He also have a, a blog in English where there's a lot of interesting articles. Uh, uh, I can send you a link to that because it, it's a great read. And he have a... I mean, he also is very much into high strangeness, uh, so he always digs up, digs up the most weird stuff he can find. And you know, in in when it comes to Swedish contactees, there's always a very high weirdness, high strangeness surrounding them. Uh, Klaus Svahn, who's a guy I think you should have as a guest sometime, uh, is kind of the 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 guy that everyone goes to in Sweden and sometimes the world when it comes to the ufo phenomenon he's a journalist and he's a he's he's very he do very uh, 
very careful work when researching cases. He meets witnesses. He turns every stone uh, when it comes to uh, stuff out there. He's written tons of books. I think he's, he's writing his, I mean, he, way over 30 books, and I know he's working on a new book right now. Uh, and Klaus is a, is a uh, I, I never told him that, but I kind of feel, you know, I kind of feel that he, he is my mentor. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, he's 65, I'm 46, and I, I whenever we have conversations or, or uh, communications, or recently we traveled Sweden for five days together, uh, looking at cases. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a man I'm, I'm very, uh, I admire. Uh, because he's so great at at what to do. I'm more I'm more esoteric. I'm more <laughs> I'm more mumbo jumbo. So I, it's it's good for me to have a uh, have that balance with yeah. a very rational person beside me. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you're carrying the torch for uh, for all these influences, you know. To yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, but it's all also you know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm in the board of, of UFO Sverige, the main UFO organization. I'm very active in, in UFO Sverige. UFO Sverige is a more, I'd say, more have a more rational approach than I have. Because when I look into cases, I, 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 I very much enjoy looking at the symbolism in it. I, 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 I love looking at possible connections with you know, uh, folklore and, you know, nature spirits and all that kind of stuff. I'm really not, I mean, <clears throat> if, if you read the book, you, you notice that I'm, I'm I, I rarely do any kind of debunking or anything. I kind, kind of speculate sometimes, but I'm, yeah. I'm more interested in, in the stories of these people. Right. And, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely my main interest with it. Yeah, and what it, what it means, what it means to that to to the person that's having that experience. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those things, you know. You notice when you talk with a lot of experiences uh, experiencers that it it affects them so deeply. I mean, <clears throat> we have stuff that happened, uh, you know, forty years ago, and they're still thinking about it every day. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we 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 met a man now uh, like a week ago, um, Tommy, who had a quite weird experience in two thousand and uh, in and eleven, and he still <clears throat> he still gets very very emotional when talking about this. You know, his I mean the the tears comes because he's he had such a close up of a giant UFO, whatever it was, and he's he's. His wife saw it for a couple of seconds, but other than that, he's alone in his experience, and he wonders every day if anyone else saw it. Was it was it just him? Was it in his head? Was it, did it show itself to him, especially for him, <coughs> or or was it something else? And it's so moving to talk with such a man and hear him. Uh, hear him analyze his experience, uh, and you can you can you can sense. No, you can't. Say, you you know how important this was to him because it changed his whole view on life and the universe and 
and you encounter these things over and over again when you talk to people and i find that very powerful yeah absolutely i mean seeing how it affects somebody i think that as you mentioned before that that helped you kind of become more of a believer in the paranormal in a hidden world because you saw how deeply it affected the people that that had these encounters oh yeah yeah for sure uh it, it's 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 meant a lot to me um listening to people and and talking with them and it made me i mean before this first paranormal show where we visited uh haunted homes i i must admit i was kind of an an i don't know how to put it an asshole maybe i you know it's <laughs> <laughs> when when people I was fascinated by the subject, absolutely. But every time I heard something, I was very, very quick to debunk it, uh, often without, uh, you know, reason, basically. It, it, maybe it, it pointed more to, uh, towards my own insecurity about it and, and my age uh, at the time. Uh, so, I'm, I mean, talking with these people has... Yes, it, it it has given so much to me. Now I'm I'm all, almost sound religious here, and and I'm not. But it's it's to listen to people, to talk with people directly is is what I, I I'd say the most important thing you can do. It's easy to read books and blogs and and Wikipedia and and you know, but listening to people directly, eye to eye, it's something special. You know, uh, I, I'd love I love doing that. Yeah, testimony and and uh, a lot of intangible things are communicated. I'm sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm also. I mean, since years back, I've also felt that those smaller experiences, or you know, more intimate experiences <clears throat> with one or two witnesses, uh, is is the more most important ones. I mean, I admit, and I don't want to make anyone pissed off out there, but I'm quite uninterested by, you know, fighter pilots and Pentagon and stuff like that. I prefer the the, the smaller uh, human stories. Uh, I always felt that those. We agree with that. We agree yeah, with that. For We're sure. not the same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just bored with the other stuff. Uh, right. But you know, when you when you hear someone who's been on a dark countryside road and they've seen a ufo or they see some strange being and you listen to them that's so much powerful than any kind of radar images or or sonars or or data as people like to call it you know data data we need to collect data i, I i'd say that the most magnificent computer we have or data collector is the 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 person itself the the who, who see stuff through their perceptions, absolutely. But what they see, even if it's not objectively correct, says a lot more about human nature and themselves and us than many other things, and than, than technology itself. I want to talk about uh, the influence of folklore and mm. about what specifically... The Swedish folklore and some of those, especially things dealing with little people and those mm -hmm. things, because that seems to have, does that have an influence on kind of the nature of the sightings that, that you, not just with UFOs, but anything else that you've written about in the book 
a lot of high strange episodes, a lot of things mm-hmm. dealing with uh, strange creatures and um, that type of thing. Does it have any influence on some of these people's sightings or their interpretation of it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we, we live in a country which have like 70% forest. Uh, so we, we have, wow. yeah, we have forest everywhere. I mean, as I mentioned before we started recording, I mean, I, I live in the suburbs to a big city. And if you walk 20 minutes or 10 minutes from the, the city center here, you have forests, you know, miles of forests and lakes in every direction, basically. So it's, it's we're so rooted in, in nature. Uh, and so is, of course, folklore with all its it's kind of you know all the beings that 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 lives there and small people little people um uh, we call them vettar uh but i will call them gnomes to to make it easier for for the listeners they're kind of the same thing these stories are are everywhere in sweden especially if you go outside the the main cities but you can you can hear about stuff like this even you know in the more crowded parts of sweden uh and and gnomes has been um a part of our our folklore since i mean i don't know hundreds of years maybe a thousand years before that it was giants but then the giants disappeared when the the country got uh uh, christian uh, once upon a time so it's it's i mean every every farm out there have gnomes uh who lives on the farm uh take care of the farm and you need to be kind to them uh, of course because they quite they can be quite cheeky um uh where did i want to go with this uh well i mean if you if you look back at older gnome sightings in Sweden, they're very 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 similar to more modern UFO and humanoid sightings. Uh, to to the I mean, it's I, I guess it's all about the perception of people, the culture around. Uh, but if you look back at stuff that happened in the 30s or 20s or or, or even later, when people didn't have. Uh, they didn't they didn't know about flying saucers or aliens the the stuff they told and and wrote down uh is basically it's it's exact same thing i mean one of my favorite cases is helgi eriksson i think it was in 1931 where he he was walking from one farm to another uh it was in the winter uh and uh, suddenly he he meets like a, a a dozen small men basically basically walking past him like uh, like they're marching he, he made a comparison to militaries but these men were like one one meter tall and they had big beards and grumpy faces and and pointy hats and they wow. were talking yeah it's it's <laughs> and they were talking with each other in some unknown language so they passed him like a one meter away and he could see how they were looking at him uh, but they kind of they didn't seem to like him, and they continue and they continued out on the field into a bright light. Who who then you know uh, flew away. So it's it kind of it's like little green men entering a flying saucer, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know another case where actually 
I don't have so much details at the moment about it, but it's, uh, it was actually a family who had to fight off gnomes who were trying to get into their house. Excellent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and they they can also see how the gnomes then entered a bright light who flew away outside their house. So it's uh, it's it's very that's very, reminiscent very, of the Billy Greenman, like the Hopkinsville guy. Yeah, that's what uh, I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I I need to to do some more research on it. I've been thinking about it for a long time, but with some of these older cases it's a bit hard to find more information this is something Klaus Klaus Wallen have written about so maybe I will ask him uh, another v one very folklorish thing happened in 1979 there was a girl called Lilian who was out walking at night she was like 16 17 years old uh, and she sees a classic flying saucer uh, in a park and it's it, and she got scared, of course, when she saw it because it's like something completely out of the ordinary. And then two humanoids, tall, slim humanoids, we kind of with some kind of silky clothes, tight clothes, uh, comes towards her and they offers her to eat a piece of chocolate. Uh, yeah, and she she's so scared, so she don't know what to do. She is frozen. She is paralyzed, basically looking at them. So they kind of uh, they kind of leave and fly away with their with their flying saucer. But that one is like it's it's a, it's a pretty modern case where you have the classic food offering from the other right. side. Yeah, and right. it's, it's it feels. Right feels like something from hundreds of years back and um but thankfully she, yeah she didn't take the chocolate so uh, which probably would have made her disappear for a while uh but i i talked a little bit about her she's many i have a whole chapter about it in the book uh but she didn't want to talk about it you know the case itself but she said that it happened uh, and she's in her 60s now, I guess. So she's still stand by her story. You mentioned the lady fighting the troll or these little creatures. I mean, you have these little kind of goblin-like creatures. And in her case, where she saw these kind of ethereal, more ethereal type of beings that I would kind of typify as like Tolkien's elves type. Are there mm -hmm. that type of uh, mythological folkloric creature as well that more like the, the that look more human? In a sense, is that something that is in Scandinavian folklore? Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. I mean, we uh, fairies and elves and uh, nature spirits in general have a very human look. <coughs> um, <clears throat> they're often quite beautiful. They're tall, yeah. light-skinned, um, very, yeah, kind of etheric and, and kind of poetic when they talk. Uh, even trolls, I mean, originally trolls in Sweden were quite beautiful, you know, being. Mm. Uh, but in the beginning, I mean, like 100 years ago, we had an artist named John Bauer, and he started to paint trolls as these big, uh, grotesque beings. Uh, and that oh. kind of changed our perception of them visually. Yeah, but before that, there were they could. I mean, a, a troll could transform itself to a, an owl or a cat, also or a mm. fox. But they could also be beautiful people with you know 
the classic, you know, with the huge fortunes inside the yeah. <laughs> I feel like these popular culture images, of course, they're they're filtered through Hollywood. Surfing now, we we're kind of talking about something similar earlier today. That a lot of this stuff is filtered through 19th century notions. You know, these images that were used in 19th century popular culture. In Sweden, especially when it comes to folklore uh, creatures. And I, I, I'd say that the trolls are the the best example of it. Uh, but I mean, for example, I, I mentioned the, the guy who saw t- 12 gnomes walking by. Uh, when he first started, started to talk about this experience in the... 70s early 70s he he didn't you know describe them as you know aliens or a ufo or something it was it was gnomes he saw or something like that right but if you go further a couple of years and he's been talking more about it suddenly it's aliens it's it's a, a flying saucer probably because that was the connection he could make. And of course, investigators in the 70s had, especially in Sweden, had a very strong bias uh, uh, that it was aliens and flying saucers. So they couldn't really look beyond that yeah. and probably affected him. So, and I mean, even today, uh, when people have experiences that they often refer them to as aliens or something yeah. from space. But when I read about it, I feel that this is this is a fairy or this is a gnome or right. you know stuff like that. So yeah, f- for sure. And I mean, it's I mean, it's everywhere like that. And it's uh, it's interesting. I think I, I I find it very interesting how the perception can change through culture and what does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. what does that mean? <laughs> Because you talk a lot about these inner realities, I think you call them, and how they can impact the, the mm-hmm. greater outside world and later impacted by things like you talk about science fiction and whether uh, being interested in this these kind of modern folklores mm-hmm. would prime someone to make them more likely to experience this generation's version of these same kind of phenomena. Yeah. And it's 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 interesting too that you know you mentioned that about the trolls. Like I, I didn't know that, and I've always thought trolls were depicted as ugly, nasty creatures. But this is from the work of a 19th century artist, and then after he's his material becomes popular, people see it. Then all of a sudden, then they see a troll. It is a nasty, horrible creature. Yeah, yeah. it's very fascinating. Um, I'm sure this is you know it's the same all over the world, but. When I was reading through the book after I've written it, and I, you know, you read it through multiple times, and I noticed that I'd say that at least ninety-five of the ninety-five percent of the uh, observations, the experiences, uh, are set on the countryside. It's winter. <laughs> it's dark, uh, yeah. it, and it's silent. There's no distractions around, and then people have a tendency to see these things. And I also feel that that is a huge part of the folklore tradition, because folklore, you know, comes from the countryside, comes from, you know, desolate places or or where there's few people. It's like a... Uh, I, I, I often joke that I hate the word portal. I think it's very very silly uh but it kind of feels like <laughs> being alone 
out there in the darkness or under a starry sky kind of opens up something if you're willing to at least if you if you're relaxed and and chill and maybe you know <clears throat> your your mind is empty basically then these things will happen uh which i mean i i've rarely experienced something myself and that's probably because i i'm always in the suburb somewhere or i'm working or i'm in in the city so it's, it's i never have the time to just experience these things but i hope one day that i'll do that just as an aside i thought this was an interesting story where you talked about the fairies of the little people and you talked about how they were building a road a highway mm-hmm. and they wanted to divert it to not bother the fairies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, it's, it's something that actually has, has happened in Iceland. They've actually done that where like, they didn't want to like you know, a certain mound or something like that, that they didn't want bothered. But like, apparently yeah, they- it's a really dangerous stretch of road in, in there in Sweden. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, in, on Iceland, they have a, for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. much more respect for these kind of uh, beings. <clears throat> I mean, the place you're referring to here is Skarvbergat. It's a little bit up north. And uh, <clears throat> it's still considered a very dangerous stretch of road. Uh, and I remember in the 90s, there was a lot of headlines about this <clears throat> because the, the, the people living there in the area were protesting against the road and and <clears throat> that they were building so much stuff. And of course, accidents happened all the time. And the 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 those who were building the road, the I can't find the English word for it now. They had to, you know, release a statement to say that, uh, you know, we're aware of the problem. We think it's because it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's just a kind of road where people drive too fast, so accidents happen. Uh, so I mean, it, it, it gave a lot of headlines this place, um, and but I mean, it's still happening today. I mean, people still claim that this whole area is packed with with uh, with uh, with gnomes and fairies and elves and other things, and you should drive there really carefully. Uh, so. Yeah, that's a that's a, a classic location here in Sweden, um, and you. I mean, even in the I don't know. I don't remember if I mentioned it in the book, but at, at the early seventies, uh, up north in Sweden, you have a, had a series of sightings of a small man standing by the road. You know, very very short. Everyone saw him as a gnome or or something like that. Sometimes he had a box on his belly with a bright light coming out from it. Uh, yeah, I think which is, yeah, I mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. also something that appears in 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 a lot of you know UFO cases and humanoid cases, the box on the belly, uh, which I find very very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, you did mention that there was another major case that you mentioned with that in the book. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it's called like the the the, the little man of. Uh, I don't remember the the name of the road at the moment, um, but it was a uh, quite big news at the time, and there was a lot of uh, investigative stuff going into it. And I'm I'm not so I'm not sure what it was, uh, or or if it was just people, you know, triggering themselves when they were reading about it. But there were some creepy encounters, you know, especially, you know, dark roads uh, along this river. Uh, I mean, we have this case with a man, I think he's waiting for the bus, and he sees this small man standing a few meters away from him, and he goes near, he walks to him, and there's this bright light com- coming out from his belly or from the box on his belly, and he disappears. It's, I mean, it, it is creepy, uh, especially, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. especially up north, you know, during winter, it's so dark up here i mean it's it's pitch no. black um so uh, in in i mean in in the summer it's basically daytime 24 hours but in in the winter it's you have like three hours of 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 uh, sunlight during the day so when i lived up north i, I mean th- there was days weeks where i never saw the sun which was horrifying you know <laughs> wow yeah yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a good place for weird events for sure. Do you think that a lot of this folklore is it is it in danger of being lost with modernization and you you mentioned so many people leaving these rural areas and I think this is something you can one can speculate a lot about but I I um yeah, I think we there's a risk of losing it. Uh, of it disappearing uh, when people move away and move to the big cities. Um, uh, I also, maybe I sound cynical now, but I, I, in in this day and age with so much information and media and, you know, there's there's so much things happening everywhere all the time. Uh, I also think that people... uh, and I am generalizing a bit here, of course. I think people are losing their imagination. I, and I think imagination is something you need to be able to experience these things. I'm not saying what they experience is, you know, hallucinations or anything. But I think the imagination is a huge part of, of, of seeing stuff. Or, you know, it affects your perception. So when people are... Are are you know it's it, it's a tsunami of information everywhere. You know people are too tired to bother about that strange noise in the forest. You know they think it's uh, you know they they ignore it or they 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 want to find uh, directly a rational uh, explanation instead of thinking about gnomes or fairies or trolls or stuff like that. Uh, so I, 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 th- I also think this information tsunami we have always constantly uh, kind of makes us a bit less um, talented in, in, in just using our own mind, uh, using our own imagination, you know. It, it, yeah. it ties, um, uh, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I sound cynical about it but that's that's what i feel at least yeah well i think Mm -hmm. most most people would echo that that sentiment you know 
Yeah. Um, it's a pity. It's a pity. But that's why it's so good at to go outside the big cities. Uh, Ufo Sverige has done a couple of projects during the last years where they basically go to a rural, rural, rural. <laughs> sorry, rural. What do you say Orange. in English? A rural. rural. <laughs> sorry, it's early in the morning and I'm Swedish, so that's how it is. Uh, <laughs> And they just go around and they knock on doors. They can do a whole town or a village or, you know, an area. And they just knock on doors and, and ask, hey, have you seen something you can't explain? And they have, uh, th they know now that at least 10% in every area, 10% of the people have seen something strange. That they wow. can't explain. Yeah. And that's quite a lot. You know, that means, I mean, we're 10 million in people in, in Sweden now. That means like at least 1 million have experienced something out of the ordinary and they don't talk about it because no one asks. Maybe people are afraid to ask because they don't want to sound, you know, intrusive or stupid or whatever. And people are afraid to talk because they don't want to be mocked. Right. Uh, uh, so I, 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 I feel to, to do this, for example, these TV shows I've done and written this book, I, I hope to encourage people to talk about it. It's not silly, you know, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, it's, it's not hallucinations, you know, people experience stuff, you know, you have to, you, you know, you have to respect that. Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, you know, there's. There's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. That's like a, a paranormal uh, census. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the book, too, you talk about uh, a contact T. I'm probably going to butcher this. He's Auntie Johnson. Yes. Uh, aunt, yeah. And I, I guess he's kind of the, is he the best well known contactee in Sweden? Or? No, I, 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 I'd say he's. <clears throat> one of the more interesting ones we have we have or we had uh, more famous ones like Stian Lindgren and Daniel Glanz but you have to take their stories to be honest with a grain of salt when it comes to Ante he's interesting for several reasons I mean he had this bizarre encounter in 1984 where he he's out driving he's driving home to have, you know spend some time with friends and he sees a large black ufo hovering above a field near the edge of the forest and he sees this and he's, he's a photographer or he was a photographer so he drives home directly to get his camera he wakes up his wife uh, says he needs to photograph this UFO and it disappears again. And when he comes back, there's no UFO there. So he drives around and suddenly this uh, giant craft shows up again uh, over a road and he almost crashes his car. So the car gets stuck in the snow and he have this, uh, this craft very, very close to the car and he looks up at it and he's so scared. So he tries to get out from the car and when he leaves the car, he can feel that someone is, you know, grabbing him by the arm. And then I think it's like three, three humanoid dwarfs in, in you know, kind of like the dwarfs in Whitley Strieber's communion who start dragging him towards the UFO. 
like they want to abduct him. And he's, he's, you know, he, he really, you know, he, he fights with them, basically. And he's saved by a truck. There's a truck coming along the road, and the, for some reason the aliens get scared by it, and they run away and into the UFO and disappears. What's interesting here is that he goes back to the car, and a little bit before this, someone is calling the police, probably the, the truck driver. And the truck driver says to the police that he sees a car <clears throat> stuck in the snow and there's a big black thing hovering above it. So when the, the, when the police and ambulance come, they find Ant uh, in shock in the car. They have to, you know, really bend his fingers so he will let, let go of the wheel and bring him to a, a hospital. Uh, so after that, that kind of sets off uh, many, many years of, of contacts with, with beings from planet Prio. And they take him, take him out on, on, on journeys in the universe and they give him gifts, uh, sometimes technical equipment, which he never shows to anyone, but also uh, stones. Um, some of them are still uh, left. Um, so he, he did this for many years. He, he wrote down everything that happened to him. Um, uh, and he, I think he passed away. I don't remember the year now, if it was uh, 2011 or 2013. And <clears throat> when his family came to the <clears throat> retirement home to take care of his things, the staff told them that there's, there's already been two men in black suits there to who claimed they were his family and they took all his notes, all his papers, all his stuff from his uh, space journeys. So we have a, <clears throat> a little Men in Black episode there at the end of it also. Right. You seem in the book to have some doubts about his story that he might have. Yeah, I mean. Making some I, things up or. I mean, <clears throat> with, with many of these guys, uh, sure. There's always inconsistencies in the stories. There is some. I mean, his original, in, the original incident is basically the same, but there's a few details changing here and there, and he adds some stuff and he uh, retracts some stuff. But when it comes to the contactee part, uh, I've always, I'm, you know, I'm not sure what to make of it. I totally respect them if I feel that they're not, you know. Um, frauds, you know, just in it for the money or anything. If they, they seem to have sincere, honest, genuine experiences, but what is it? Is is it is it just something in their heads, or is it something physical, or is it both? And if it's in their heads, can you say that it's not real? You know, yeah. I mean, it's real for them. So what's reality? Um, what what I kind of like about Ante is that first of all he 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 always claimed that these events made him a happier person he's he was fine with it he enjoyed it it made his life richer he was always worried that they would you know stop coming to him you know because he loved doing these trips uh he never really capitalized on his experience either. You know, he didn't want to become a guru. He didn't want to make money on it. So he kind of kept to himself, basically. He just enjoyed his time with the aliens. And I, I respect that part a lot. But 
you know, it, if it happened for real or not, I'm, I'm absolutely not sure. You know, there's, uh, like I said, there's always things like this one with, with contactees I've experienced at least that you, 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 you kind of walk the fine line between, between uh, unreal and real, you know, and that by itself I find fascinating. Yeah, that's true. Of, of unreality. We'll talk a little bit about some of the stories here that you talk about in the book. Um, yeah, because it was very refreshing that these are, you know, mostly new cases to us. And, you know, we hear so much of the, the same stories from, from the U.S. Right. over and over again that it was really refreshing to hear a lot of these that were, you know, in the Swedish context. Yeah, things we'd never heard before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One reason why I wrote the book is that I wanted to share these stories. I mean, there's written in Swedish about them, and some of them are mentioned briefly or or quite written in, for example, Flying Saucer Review. But I also noticed that when reading these uh, international versions of them, there's a lot, a lot of things getting lost in translation, so to speak. There's, you know... I don't know what to say in, 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 in English, you know, the whispering game, when you whisper something in someone's ear, yeah. they will, it's kind of, kind of turns into something new or, or we call it telephone telephone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I decided to go back to, in most cases, the original reports, the original articles to just check what did really happened. Um, and I mean, I, I found so many cool stories, uh, and often I felt that by looking into them deeper and look at the original original witness reports, I I found them even more interesting, you know, even more you know multi layered and and fascinating. Um, so I don't know. You, is there any story in specific you're curious about? Yeah, um, a couple that uh, that come to mind. There were a few um, that I really thought were interesting. Some of them we've already covered, but the Flogberg mine, uh, the Frogman in Black. Mm-hmm. We talked about the boxes, the, the us carrying the boxes with the light in them. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the Flagberg mine one, I mean, you know, this is people encountering something inside of a mine, which is reminiscent of what we talked about with Maxim Furick not too long ago, where the guy's trapped in a mine in Pennsylvania and them seeing um, entities and things down in the mine. And But this was more of a, this wasn't workers. This is more like an abandoned mine, as I understood it. Yeah, the whole area there in Svendibakken has a lot of abandoned mines and facilities around. Uh, I mean, the, I mean, it's it's Sweden is basically basically like a Swiss cheese. You know, uh, you have tunnels everywhere, uh, and I mean, I remember w- where my mother lives. It's it's. It, can, can be quite dangerous to go out in the forest because suddenly there could be like a 20 meter deep uh, hole <laughs> in front of you. They try, of course, to, to fence them in, but so in, in Smedibaken. And, and Benny had this fascinating experience together with his friends. I, I guess they were like between 10, 11, 12 years old at the time, and they were building a hut or, you know, p- playing cowboy and Indian or something like that out in the forest. Uh, 
quite close to this this mine and they actually they didn't see the these two creatures coming up from the mine but they showed up at the edge of it and they were tall they had white clothes i kind of see them as some kind of hazmat suits and they were holding uh, each uh, held some kind of bag and they had uh, covered heads and the boys kind of saw them as these giants giants i mean like maybe they're two two and a half meters tall with big black eyes uh and they were looking at the boys and the boys were looking at them and then they started to run uh, and these two beings were following them kind of by the side of the, the the trail in the forest kind of floating in the air kind of in slow motion it you know it felt like they were in a separate reality kind of uh for for benny this was a major event in his life i mean it basically set off uh, a lifetime of experiences uh, i talked with him on phone regarding this and he basically confirms the whole story he brought it down a few notches um but he he also told me about all the the weird experiences he had after this he up until this day what i understand he see these big saucer shaped golden discs hovering above lakes and over forests because he likes to go out fishing um it's a it's a story where i i've I have my doubts, to be honest, because I think there might be something else. I mean, it could be moonshiners scaring the kids, for example, because it was quite common for them to have their equipment in, in abandoned places during the time. It was a lot of moonshining in, in that area. But then again, what's most important here is, is Benny's experience and what it gave him. Uh, I, I don't mention it in the book, but I always felt, not always, but I, I feel that the phenomenon itself can kind of take humans and animals as some kind of proxies for itself. So, uh, I mean, even if, um, I mean, for example, Men in Black, uh, where, yeah, where, where people meet some weird men, maybe they're just, you know, ordinary you know some military or police or ufologists but the, the 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 experience itself makes them weirder and stranger than they really are and that's a part of the phenomenon itself uh, because they 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 use it it uses these encounters which can be quite normal you know objectively looking at it but just because the phenomenon is involved, they become stranger and kind of communicates with with us or with the witnesses. And I kind of feel it's the same with 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 Benny's experiences experience by the mine. Maybe it was just some moonshiners or some workers or something like that. But for some reason, this opened up a whole new world for for him uh with all the stuff he had he have seen since then and for, even for him it it's it's a very positive thing it's i mean it is 
I guess it's easy when you had an experience that it can be quite destructive. You know, you you you're, you're wondering, you're frustrated, you want to see it again. You you you're thinking about what could it, what could it be. But I I love guys like like Benny or Ante who just goes with it. They oh. they don't seem to worry too much. They're just having fun. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, wow. I, I I wish more people could you know, react that way after an experience. But who, who am I to, 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 to judge there? Because I really haven't experienced so much myself, but uh, I think you know what I mean. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely yeah. And uh, the, you have the, a, ch- a, cha- a chapter entitled Frogman in Black. Well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's a, kind of a weird one. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the frogman in black. Yeah, absolutely. You have to. I mean, men in black observations in Sweden are very, very rare, uh, and I think I mentioned it somewhere that I mean, c- compared to the United States, which has a, a long tradition of secrecy, which by itself creates paranoia. I mean, Sweden is very open. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I have a. Not far from where I live, I have a military area, and no one. I mean, maybe I'm, you know, risking my life, but I'm, I, I'm always in this area, and sometimes I meet militaries, and no one cares, and they, they, they have these operations in there. It's a very different approach to, right. to, to stuff here in Sweden. So I, I think it's less paranoia and and less stories about men in black because of that. But the frogman in black is interesting. Uh, uh, as I mentioned, we had the submarine uh, 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 flap in the 80s where people saw submarines everywhere, um, which was huge. Um, some of them were probably Soviet uh, uh, submarines, some were not. Uh, then we had this guy called Jan Ove Sundberg, who passed away by now, who was convinced that these uh, machines were actually UFOs or USOs. Uh, uh, investigating our shorelines uh, <clears throat> and in them of course there would be frogmen alien frogmen or frogmen in black as I call them <clears throat> and this uh, I, I, the stuff that Jan Uwe has written down is I'm pretty sure they have they, they there is some reality behind them people actually met something or someone dressed as a frogman but Jan Uwe you have to understand that he was kind of a trickster personality not the most sympathetic one either um, everywhere especially if you look uh, uh, for example in flying social review in the 70s uh, you see his name pop up from time to time uh, he have experienced something, or he has written something, and that's a that's a that's a little warning because then you might not be sure if what he writes is true or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's he's written about Bigfoot in Sweden, and of course UFOs and this frogman. He wrote a whole book about frogmen in black and and USOs. Um, I I don't really know what so much to say about them except that they're they're rooted in 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 men in black uh, traditions 
uh, with with uh, frogmen behaving odd, looking slightly odd, having either very very generic traditional uh, accents or they have some odd accent when they when they're talking and they often asking weird questions you know like they can stand by the water and ask where the water is for example <clears throat> or yeah. you know yeah you know like just men in black do you know they <laughs> yeah non nonsensical things yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly uh, so i i mean depending if you believe Jan Ove or not, I, I, I think that this frogman clearly belongs in the Men in Black traditions. Uh, in, in, uh, but why, why so many frogman uh, encounters in Sweden? I don't, I don't know. Of course, we have a lot of sea around and we have a lot of lakes. Uh, but, you know, um, they're weird cases. I, I, just, I just don't want, I, I just don't know what to believe them, but I felt they're, they're good stories, at least. Right. And even though you ahead, say, Gabriel. you know, that Sweden isn't totally captured by the national security state, like the United place like the United States, but you all and greater Scandinavia was still a pretty important place during the Cold War. I'm wondering mm -hmm. how you feel that impacted any of this UFO mythology in Sweden and um, were threats of apocalypse and things like that did they play a role in any of this yeah especially when when it comes to the the submarines and the frogman i'd say they're clearly an offspring of the paranoia uh, yeah. regarding the soviet and the cold war um i mean recently like one year ago we had a you can say a similar flap but with drones around you know, nuclear plants and government buildings and people saw drones everywhere. And the newspapers started to speculate that, oh, they, these must be Russians, the Russians again. <laughs> and it's basically the exact same thing as, as the submarines. Uh, or even if you go back to the ghost rockets or the ghost airplanes, you have these speculations in, in times of, of war and paranoia and... It it uh, it affects people when it comes to these drones. There were there were there were a ton of sightings with drones around nuclear plants, but they couldn't actually find find proof for any of them that any of them actually happened. People maybe just saw stars or airplanes in the in the in the distance and thought there were drones. So it's it's, I mean, and we live pretty close to to Russia and right. and. Uh, so it's of course it's been affecting media and and the people's perception of of danger out here. People are more paranoid. <clears throat> they they're arresting you know possible spies or you know uh, Russian uh, citizens who are uh, maybe have taken too many photos of the royal castle. You know stuff like that. <laughs> it's it's kind of kind of on edge sometimes. Uh, so I, I'm absolutely sure that, especially when you go back to the 80s, it had a, you know, it was very affected by by the Cold War, definitely. Uh, oddly enough, not so much about you know flying objects like um, UFOs. We had a couple of crashes in lakes. Uh, we have the Namayaura in I think it was 80 or 81, uh, where two witnesses saw a very clear craft of some sort uh land in a lake 
uh, and kind of let itself sink. And in 99, we had a, also a, a ton of witnesses who saw uh, a craft around two, three meters in diameter, a triangular crash into a lake in, in Värmland. Uh, and Värmland is quite close to Norway. <clears throat> and the border between Norway and Sweden has always been very important in, you know, during war. And, uh, and um, you know, it's easy to smuggle things and do things out in, the, in this forest because it's so far away from everything. I want to get to this, the reality shifts, like, kind of like the time slips mm. that, you've, mm-hmm. that you've written about also in the book. I thought these were really interesting. I thought that was a really interesting chapter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I, I first began writing that chapter um, specifically dealing with the, with the first incident where uh, uh, three people saw a car disappear on a bridge and later the car appeared on a small islet a couple of hours later, which by itself is a very, very weird event. But when writing this, I, I suddenly remember that an old co-worker of mine uh, had told me a story, an experience he had. And I, I, just, I contacted, contacted him again and said, can, can you tell me the story again? I can record it because I need to get it down on, you know, in, in, in both in audio and, 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 and paper. Uh, and he told me this, I mean... <clears throat> You, you you need to hear him talk about this because he he does it so well. This was in I don't remember the name, uh, the year now, but he and his son had been shooting a music video at a small hotel on the island they live, Ireland, and it was December twentieth or twenty one. Uh, and they were driving home, and this island is of course very close to the sea, so it had always have a you know. A, a, quite famous blue fog and this blue fog turned green and they found themselves lost on roads that it's impossible to get lost on because all the roads are very very straight i mean you have one road that goes straight over the island it's like one long stretch and this guy, Jan, is also a bus driver, and he knows these roads like the back of his hand. And, and they, 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 they just couldn't get out from this area. They were just driving and driving, and they were noticing that all the lights were out. Uh, whenever they passed the house, it was dark. There were no signs by the road, you know, where to turn, where to go. The odd thing also that this is a very, very flat island. This island doesn't have hills. But suddenly they found themselves driving downwards for a couple of kilometers, uh, which is absolutely impossible. And they're also passing, you know, pine tree forest, which is very, very rare. And it's, it's, you just don't have that in that part of the island. Jan also starts to get very worried they, they get very scared because they're lost on on roads that they you know they, they know they know very well and he starts to sense a danger i mean he stops the car to try to you know locate where he is he can smell the pine trees for example it's a detail he remembers very very vividly and 
then he feels that something is coming from behind, something is after them. And they get into the car again and continues to drive, still absolutely lost out there, until finally they see some lights far away and it's their hometown, their, 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 their part of the island where they live. And the, suddenly they kind of come back to our reality again. And, and John, John, first of all, he, he, he's still very moved when he talks about this because it's an experience he and his son shared. His son refuses to talk about it. He, he finds it very disturbing. His uh, ex-wife, uh, they were married at the time, didn't want to talk about it at all when he got home. Uh, it's like, uh, it's like, it's too weird to, to, uh, to even mention. Um, so he, he feels that he entered some kind of other reality for sure, because he says, this is, this is not the place where I usually drive and it's impossible to, to, I mean, you, you can't find these kind of locations on the island. Uh, and I, I absolutely, to 100% trust Jan uh, in this. Is, I mean, he's, he's a good friend. Right. I've known him for many, many years. And I, I right. see no reason why he should make these things up. <laughs> uh, what, what makes it even weirder that a couple of months later, I, I, my uncle who lives on the island sent me an email and said, Hey, Fred, I've... I've experienced something weird this summer, and he also got lost on this this stretch of the ro the road that goes straight over the island. There's no turns, you know, you can't go anywhere. You can just go straight ahead, and he got lost on that road. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he's an or, or, what do you say? Or he's a bird watcher? What do you call it? Or, ornithologist? Um, so he was I do not know. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he, that's, he, that's that's the name. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> he he was out looking for birds in the night uh, together with his partner, and uh, somehow they managed to get you know two three kilometers uh, on the side. You know, they weren't even on the road anymore when they finally uh, was able to locate where they were, and that was like that was a. My mind was blown when he emailed me this because I haven't mentioned uh, the, the the other story to him, and this is the exact same area also. So it's it's like uh, it's the same place, which for me is like wow, what's going on out there? <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned too that there was um, another story where you felt like it was it was the opposite was happening, where someone was watching someone being pulled or watching them come in and out of time basically yeah that was a strange story yeah 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 that's the first story i'm i'm going through yeah they, they, you had these three friends uh going on vacation out to the archipelago in stockholm uh, they had a cabin on a small islet and they, they got, they're gonna drive over a quite narrow bridge and they see, uh, I think it's a brown, brown Volvo coming from the other side. So they pull into the road to, to let it pass. But the, the Volvo disappears. There, there's no car there. And they kind of get worried, you know, did it, you know, crashed into the water or something like that? So they drive around and trying to find it. It's completely gone. It's just in front of their eyes, basically. 
so they continue to the to the to the boat they go out with the boat to the this little island and they they start to chill probably they open a beer maybe start the 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 sauna uh because they were uh, they were finished and they always do sauna oh yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, and they hear a loud bang on this small islet they hear a loud bang and they look up and maybe 50 or 70 meters away they see this brown volvo on the island <laughs> driving inside the forest and moments later they see how all the trees are kind of pushed down like they describe it as a giant hand but it's invisible of course kind of presses the the trees down and even breaks some of them and the car disappears uh and uh, they they go there and they can find one tree is quite thick tree that has been completely broken um and that's uh i've been trying to find these people i think two of them have passed away by now and uh, the there is a third one also, but I haven't been able to locate him yet because I would like to talk to, to them more about this. What, what did really happen out there? Um, but I, I like that story. It's so absurd and it's so... I can, I can see it in front of me, how they're out there chilling with a beer and suddenly they see this damn Volvo again, <laughs> you know, yeah. on a place where it it can't be there's no you can't you, you can't have a car there there's no roads on this island it's just out driving on their little island you know that's strange mm. yeah very strange one last thing um these these weird like manta rays that people see in the sky mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There, there is a few of them yeah um um yeah, they, they, yeah, big manta rays, you know, uh, kind of sometimes a little bit stiffer, you know, with less movements and sometimes moving around like they're swimming up there. Uh, I mean, the, 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 there's a bunch of those cases, but the, the one I'm mostly fascinated by is the uh, we have a former comedian and TV host uh who who was out walking uh, on a field uh near stockholm what i understand and he looked up and he saw this big manta ray kind of just minding its own business uh above him as a huge black one i guess he just saw the silhouette of it um uh i i i think those are cool i mean we we had uh, incidents where people see what looks like a big fish also uh yeah and and, uh, yeah that's weird also and uh there's a chapter called uh uh, like the wings of a dragonfly where jürgen and ulrika a very very nice couple out driving see a, a a ball a sphere hanging from a thick stem of some kind with two giant wings attached to it kind of floating above the road and they actually hit it with a car. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this kind of half, half animalistic uh, flying objects uh, out there. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it makes me question if, I mean, like, like in the movie, Nope, are we talking about, you know, some kind of yeah. organic creatures out there or something? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's the first thing I thought of when I when I when I read that chapter. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one I didn't have, I, I don't have in a book. It's it happened in Värmland, and I'm very, very fascinated by it. It was a woman. It was early in the morning, and she was going out in her garden and just looking around a little bit, and suddenly she sees very close to her, by her feet, uh, a green little creature. I mean as big as a tennis ball, maybe, or a little bit larger, with two very human eyes looking up at her. And she stands looking at this. They kind of meets, meets, uh, meet their eyes with each other, and they just look at each other. And she's so confused, she just walks in again, and then she goes back because like what what did i see what what <laughs> what kind of creature was this but of course it it was uh, it was gone uh, uh, when she came back uh, so there 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 is a there's a bunch of weird creatures flying and running around out in the swedish forests all right <laughs> i think on that note i th- i i think that's a good place to end it well you're well, very welcome to sweden if you ever come to sweden just, just let me know, and I will show you yeah. some place. Absolutely, be I've been to Norway, and I liked it very much. So, Sweden oh, yeah. should be yeah. my next Scandinavian step. We, we <laughs> got friends. We got friends in Sweden, Sergio. Who, who would have thought? <laughs> uh, so, uh, Fred, um, excellent book. Really enjoyed it, um, and, and really, I want to thank you for coming on Conspiranormal. What is next for you, and where can people find the book? Well, uh, the, the book is easy to find. It's it's <clears throat> available everywhere, basically, online right now. But I guess the most easy way is to buy it through Amazon uh, <clears throat> or bookshop.org if you don't want to support Amazon, which I totally understand. Uh, up next for me, I'm, uh, I'm still struggling with what my next book will be about, of course, but I'm also focusing a lot on this UFO show I'm working on, and I will work intensively uh, with that one until the end of November. Uh, I will also, if everything works out, I will be one of the speakers at Anomacon, which is uh, somewhere in the skies online conference in September, Uh, and I will talk about UFO encounters before 1947 in Sweden. Uh, so it's a lot of, okay. uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's it, I, I, it, it will be a pre-recorded uh, uh, talk and I am planning to do it tomorrow. So cross your fingers that I will do it because I've been pushing it in front of me way too long now. <laughs> gotcha. Awesome. Gotcha. All right. Well, sounds like you got some good things on the table. Um, I want to thank you for coming on, Fred. Um, stay on the line for us, though. We're going to close out the we're going to close out the show. Um, I just want to remind everyone that uh, Strange Realities Conference is coming up November third through the fifth. Two days at SIR Nashville and one day online. Of course, the whole thing is streaming online. And you, by this time this is posted up, you're going to be able to find tickets. You go to strangerealitiesconference.com. And there is also Patreon, which you guys, if you want to feel free to support us, we have some levels there and we have some things going on there as well. So you can find that at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. And uh, if you're coming to the conference, 
please do so because this this may possibly be the last time we do it um at least in this type of format so strangerealitiesconference.com we want to see you there or we want to see you online without further ado i think we'll close out the show Sergio. i think next time i'm going to interview you right that's what we're going to do yeah, so that will like, be the well, next episode. No, we said it would be this episode, but we we switched a little bit of things around. But uh, I'm looking forward to doing that and, and uh, what he has to say. All right, guys, we'll be back next time on Conspiracy. Conspira- Conspira-